0: section 91 of the catholics ready answer this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by vt dave the catholics ready answer by reverend mp hill section 91 spiritism it is contended in favor of spiritism that the phenomena which it presents are a plain matter of observation and evidence, and are attested by numerous and trustworthy witnesses. They are to be accepted as any other facts are accepted for which we have evidence in our senses. But if they are accepted, they will revolutionize religious thought. Facts of a striking nature are undoubtedly exhibited at spiritistic seances, but are the facts, in their substance, such as they are believed to be by the spiritists? Do they proceed from the agency of disembodied spirits? And what are Christians, especially Catholics, to think of them? Before answering these questions, let us cast a glance at the origin and history of spiritism. In one form or another, spiritism is at least as old as a scriptural story of Saul and the Witch of Endor. But in its present phase, it dates from a little more than sixty years ago and had its origin in America. In 1848. At Hydesville, New York, two sisters, Margaretta and Mary Fox, girls of twelve and fifteen respectively, professed to have a means of communicating with the souls of the dead. The story, as told by themselves, was that they had heard some mysterious rappings, which they had thought might proceed from the spirit of a man who had been murdered in the same house. They afterward discovered that the noises could be used as a code of signals in communicating with the souls of the dead. It was agreed between the girls and the new acquaintances in the other world that when the spirits were questioned, the answer yes should be indicated by one rap, no by three, and doubtful or wait by two. Later on, the Fox family moved to Rochester, New York, and here it was that spiritism as a system took shape. The girls gave exhibitions of their powers, acting as the part of mediums, i.e. persons professing to be able to produce spiritistic manifestations. Spiritism became the sensation of the period. It soon spread from America to England, from England to the continent. Mediums rose from every part of the world, and to the wrappings were added other manifestations even more strange. The spirits showed their presence by the turning and tilting of tables, by ringing bells, and by playing on musical instruments. Under the actions of the spirits, bodies were altered in weight, a touch of the hand was enough to move heavy bodies from their places, Human beings were raised in the air, phantom forms, and faces appeared. Particular spirits were invoked and made to answer questions. Secrets were revealed, and predictions were made that afterward proved true. As all the world knows, these wonders have continued down to the present day. Such is the story as it might be told by a spiritist. But the reality of these phenomena, and still more, their significance, are matters demanding serious investigation. In the early days of spiritism, Men of science either laughed or looked askance at the pretensions of spiritists. But the progress of events in a spiritistic world ultimately obliged them to face about and consent to examine into the reported facts as they would into any other class of phenomena. The Church and her theologians are necessarily interested in a movement which has important bearings on the souls of the living. The alleged phenomena has accordingly been tested and scrutinized by many who greatly differ from one another in their points of view and in the spirit in which they approached the subject. It would be quite premature to attempt to set forth resultant of these converging lines of investigation, though it must be said that the scientists have been steadily veering around to recognition of certain number of facts for which there is no scientific explanation, and which seem to be due to some preternatural causation. The results of these studies, immature as they are, will justify us, if we mistake not, in making the following observations. 1. There has always been a strong presumption established against spiritism, as indeed against most forms of occultism, by the fact that the phenomena take place only under set conditions. There must be a medium present. Darkness is desirable. A certain apparatus is used, draped tables, curtains, and whatnot. When the performance fails, the medium has an excuse pat. There is someone in the audience whose lack of sympathy exercises an adverse influence or the medium's powers have undergone a momentary eclipse. In a word, there is much that savors of the tricks of the ordinary conjurer. But the successes and the failures of the mediums are explained by a crude but pretentious philosophy, which, among other things, speaks of an astral body, something intermediate between spirit and gross matter, which in each sensitive subject is the active and passive principle of spiritistic experiences. And upon the condition of which depends the degree of success of the manifestations. We have a secondary motive in mentioning the material and the mechanical accompaniments of spiritistic displays. Spiritists of our day have had the presumption to measure their psychic achievements against the wonderful deeds of the Savior of the world. But what an immense contrast between the staginess of spiritism and the simple grandeur of those manifestations of the supernatural recorded in the four Gospels. In the latter case, The wonder in each instance was wrought by a single word, or by the touch of a hand. Miracles of the most stupendous kind were worked in open daylight, in the presence of thousands, and their number was past all reckoning. 2. Fraud has very frequently been detected in the performance of mediums. In fact, the majority of mediums have met with little reverses of the kind, but have afterward mounted the platform with the greatest apparent serenity. Spiritism made its very debut by a piece of roguery. The Fox sisters, mentioned above, were twice detected in imposture, and full details of the fraud practiced by them were afterwards given in a written deposition, signed by a lady who was a marriage relation to the girls, and presented to the magistrates of the town in which she lived. According to this statement, the mysterious raps were produced by a particular movement of the toes. The despondent gave the illustration of the trick which she had learned from the two young adepts. The fox girls have had many a successor in the practice of this species of roguery, and hence it is not surprising that spiritists, as a rule, try to avoid the searchlight of scientific scrutiny. Apart from fraud, many of the phenomena are plainly attributed to hallucination, whilst some of the more marvelous stories, amongst others one relating to how a certain English medium actually floated in the air, turn out to be stories of the type of the three black crows. 3. But after due allowances have been made for fraud, hallucination, and exaggerated reporting, known or suspected, there is a considerable residue of well-observed phenomenon baffling all attempts to explain them by natural laws. There is no dearth of hypotheses offered an explanation of them, but these are mostly based on a false philosophy of spiritual and material substance. The astral body, or the perispirit, has played a prominent part in such hypotheses. According to some spiritists, the astral body may detach itself from the visible body and be brought into communication with the astral bodies of other persons, including those of the dead, who are supposed to have carried their astral elements with them beyond the grave. There is no foundation, in fact, for the assumption of any such agent as the astral body. But, of course, an Arabian Nights tale had to be invented to account for the mysterious by those who ignore the Christian point of view in the matter of ghostly apparitions. Perhaps equally unsound is the hypothesis of those who attempt to account for the facts by the agency of certain subconscious or subliminal powers of the existence of which, at least in certain classes of persons, there seems to be no doubt in many minds. The subconscious or subliminal memory, whether the faculty be thus properly designated or not, is described as a mysterious storehouse of impressions once received, but received, strange to say, without the subject's knowledge. In a state of hypnosis or in a spiritistic trance, the unsuspected treasures of the memory are brought to the surface, and there is marvelous manifestation of knowledge which is thought to be quite beyond the range of the person's power or experience. To account for the utterances of mediums at such moments, some investigators hold or suggest that when the subliminal activities are set in motion in the medium, connection is made, through them, between the medium's mind and the mind of some other person, present or absent, and that what he gives forth as communications from the spirits are really the thoughts of living human beings. The reader may set forth his own valuation upon this explanation, remembering, however, that the theories relating to subconscious memory and such other capabilities are in too crude state to be accepted as scientific. 4. As to the main question whether there is real communication with intelligence from another world, Catholics, as well as others, can form their opinions according to the evidence. It is quite in accord with Catholic teaching to believe that spirits mingle in the affairs of men. But there are spirits and spirits. There are spirits good and bad. Now, of one thing we can rest assured, that considering the circumstances connected with spiritistic manifestations it is inconceivable that either God or his good spirits, including the souls of the just, can have anything to do with such performances. Spiritism thrives on idle and even criminal curiosity, and its exhibitions have been marked with triviality, frivolity, and moral grossness, while the moral and physical effects they produce upon the mediums and their sitters are notoriously bad. The literature of the subject abounds in cases of ruined lives due to spiritistic practices. 10,000 people, wrote Dr. Forbes Winslow as far back as 1877, are at the present time confined in lunatic asylums on account of having tampered with the supernatural, quoted from Rupert's Modern Spiritism. Moreover, the supposed spirits offer utter contradictory statements on matters of religion and deny articles of the Christian faith. Hence, the only conclusion that a Catholic can draw is that if any spirits are concerned with these transactions, they are undoubtedly evil spirits and that spiritism, whether its adepts are aware of it or not, is nothing less than commerce with the devil. The very fact of its professing to have free entree into the world of spirits is enough to condemn it in the eyes of all true Christians. As to the belief of spiritists that their mediums hold communication with the souls of the dead, and that the souls of particular persons are identified in such manifestations, the evidence furnished is of the most untrustworthy kind, and has never been subjected to any good rigorous tests. Catholics are, of course, aware that God has at times permitted the souls of the departed to appear under visible forms, but always for purposes worthy of His infinite holiness. It is therefore quite impossible that the souls of the just should have any participation in spiritistic doings. What the devils may do with the souls of the damned in connection with spiritism is a matter beyond our ken. Amongst the worst features of spiritism is one that is ominous of mischief in the future. Spiritism has been made a religion, and it aims at revolutionizing the religious beliefs of the world. It professes to have its revelation derived from communication with the spirits, though it is considerably baffled in its attempts to piece together the scattered fragments of information received and shape them into a consistent and comprehensive body of doctrine. They are learning by experience what it is to have to do with the father of lies such being the real character of Spiritism, little need be said as to what should be the practical behavior of Catholics in regard to it. In the very nature of the case, it is grievously sinful to have any part or share in Spiritistic practices. Even to be present at Spiritistic seances is ordinarily sinful, as being an occasion of either harm to the person present or of scandal to others. For Catholics, it should be enough to know that Spiritism is under the ban of the Church the Roman authorities have more than once condemned its practices, and the Second Plenary Council of Baltimore, after a scathing denunciation of them, exhorts the faithful not to favor or abet them, directly or indirectly, and not to be present, even out of curiosity, at spiritistic gatherings. End of section 91